One of the fun things that happens here every December into the first couple of weeks of the new year is we run what we call a Christmas initiative. And this is our opportunity as a faith community, as a church, to get very generous with what God has given to us and to share it with those in great need. Every year we choose a few different organizations, some that are local and right here in our community and close to us. And then we also choose some organizations that are overseas and just doing a great work of sharing the love of Jesus with others. I introduced the initiative a couple of weeks ago and said we established our largest initiative goal ever in asking for $70,000 to be given to this between now and Sunday, January the 14th. It's a really large goal. One of the things that's really enjoyable about watching this is we give it all away to these organizations. Even if we exceed that goal, which we often do, we give all of that away. In your program, you can see how we are progressing toward that goal. And I just want to ask everybody to begin praying, if you haven't yet, begin praying and listen to what God whispers into your heart about what he wants you to share with the Christmas initiative. The fun thing about this is we're talking to our kids in the, uh, in the basement here, in the, in the lower level of our new building. We're talking to them about being involved in this initiative. We're also talking to our students in 6th through 12th grade. And if everybody gets involved, if everybody participates, I believe we'll be able to reach this goal. So it's a very exciting thing. I want to remind you about our partners. Again, two that are local, two that are overseas. We choose partners that are just doing a wonderful job of loving their cities, loving their communities and their people in a great way. So you keep praying about what God wants you to do and how you can participate with this. And I want to share with you again our partners. So let's watch this together. Merry Christmas, Valley Point. We are now enjoying our new home. My heart is full and overjoyed with what we have experienced together. In the middle of this, it's going to be important to stay focused as a church on our mission. And part of our mission is generously sharing. I want to present to you our Christmas initiative for 2017. Valley Point has had an ongoing presence in Smolensk, Russia for several years. Buddy Thigpen, our missionary and dear friend, will use a portion of our initiative to reach 2,500 to 3,000 people with a Christmas gospel presentation. They will take this presentation to 27 children's homes, a drug and alcohol rehabilitation center, four feeding centers, and six churches. In addition to this, there is an orphanage of 75 kids in the war-torn area of Ukraine. Our generosity will provide tractor-trailer loads of firewood for the winter to keep the orphanage warm. Buddy will also be going for the first time into a home for 75 vision impaired children. Gifts will be delivered for these kids. Our generosity is going to make a significant difference for orphans in Russia, as well as help many hear about the good news of Jesus. In November, Valley Point had the chance to send a team to Puerto Rico to help repair and restore the devastation caused by Hurricane Maria. As the holiday season arrives, Puerto Ricans will be struggling just to feed and shelter themselves. Christmas will be a reminder of loss. Roofing, tree removal, 
and debris cleanup filled our team's time. The result of the team's work has started to open doors for those living there to share the good news of Jesus. Supplies were given away so that work can continue. Our generosity is going to provide ongoing support for hurricane relief by funding the work already done in Puerto Rico by our team, as well as provide additional funds for a Presbyterian church in Isabella, Puerto Rico. While there are great needs around the world, there are also tremendous needs and opportunities here at home. Urban Promise in Wilmington, Delaware, is a ministry we have partnered with for several years. Located in the heart of the city, their mission is to equip children and young adults through Christ with the skills necessary for academic achievement, life management, and servant leadership. Urban Promise's school for preschool through sixth grade is doing great work in bringing hope. Our generosity is going to make a significant difference for families in Wilmington by providing funding to help Urban Promise's light shine bright while helping kids academically achieve. As a church, we love our location and we love the schools around us and want to be a good neighbor and friend. Valley Point has the opportunity in March of 2018 to bring the Tim Hannig Pro Kids Show to five local schools. This assembly brings a mixture of music, magic, stories, and comedy to share a message of respecting others and being responsible and trustworthy. Our generosity this Christmas will enable us to sponsor the Pro Kids Show at Bethel Springs Elementary, Garnet Valley Elementary, and the Garnet Valley Middle School. We will also sponsor shows at Lancashire and Hamby Elementary Schools in Wilmington. Join me. Let's do something special again this year. Let's look out and meet needs with a generous heart. Welcome back to Be Our Guest. This is our Christmas series that will carry us through the month. It's really good to see you today, our third week in our new home. Question, have you found your seat yet where you're going to camp out each week? Have you found it? Because some of you are switching sides and you're moving forward or back. You're kind of throwing me off a little bit. So let me encourage you to find your seat and begin camping out there, okay? Really, it's good to see you, and these are thrilling days here at Valley Point. Here's what I want you to do. I want to encourage you to take out your talk notes that were given to you in your program. Please take that out, and if you would grab your Bible or device, we are going to walk, look at and walk through a familiar Christmas paragraph. It's probably not going to be new information or new words to you. It's a story you've heard, no doubt if you have been paying attention to Christmas at all. It's a familiar story, but I hope to look at it through a new lens today and then provide some helpful takeaways that will allow all of us to walk through the Advent season and our march from now until Christmas with a tremendous amount of joy. Just so you know where we're going, let me provide a walking path for you today. I want to begin by giving you a big idea which will provide a platform for our discussion and will also help us to understand where we're going then in Matthew chapter 2. This is the paragraph that we're going to unpack. Again, familiar story. You've heard it, but we want to look at it with new lenses today. 
So the big idea will set up Matthew chapter 2. What we're going to find in Matthew chapter 2 is a guy, a king, a ruler named Herod. Now, what I find fascinating about this whole story is that Matthew in his gospel, Matthew's the author, he's the writer of his book, which talks about the life and the story of Jesus. And he gives great detail about what happened to Jesus and what he said and what he did. What's really interesting to me in Matthew chapter 2 is that he gives us details about a real person in a real place. And Matthew's pretty good about this, actually, throughout his entire gospel, talking to us about real people, real places. And the reason I think Matthew does that is because he wants to give context and history so that if people ever wondered if this stuff really happened, if they ever doubted it, they would be able to go back to the historical record and not only discover things about Jesus, but also about a guy named Herod, who was king. And so Matthew does a good job of talking to us about this real person in a real place, in a real region, in a real city, a real ruler. And we can look this up and we can read about him. And when we talk a little bit about Herod, it makes the story in Matthew chapter 2 kind of pop and come to life, which we want that in the Bible, don't we? We want it to come to life. We want context. And the person of Herod certainly brings that. After we're done with that, I will do my favorite thing, and provide some takeaways for all of us that will be helpful and, again, hopefully will bring joy to our Christmas season. So big idea, which will set up Matthew chapter 2, the familiar paragraph. In Matthew chapter 2, we're going to talk about Herod, a real guy in a real place, and give some context to there, which makes the story and the birth of Jesus come to life, and then we'll give some helpful takeaways. Is that making sense? Everybody got that? Wonderful. So with your talk notes, take them out. Let's fill in some blanks here, starting with our big idea. Here it is. Jesus' guest list. When we think about the individuals who were there to see him after he was born, Jesus' guest list helps us know that he intentionally entered our messy lives in a real way. So today I want to think about a few of the people who are on the guest list of Jesus. And what's fascinating about the guest list is that it helps us to know that Jesus intentionally and purposely, he entered my messy life, your messy life, our messy world, and that is great news for all of us. So think about this for a moment. Jesus invited the marginal from the very beginning to look at him and to enjoy him, and to love him. And again, that's great news for all of us. Jesus, he invited the marginal and those pushed the fringes of culture. He invited them to come in and see him and to investigate him. And this is seen so clearly in the guest list of Jesus. Question, who made the guest list for the birth of a king? for the birth of a Messiah. I don't know if you've ever considered that. Often we throw parties and events and such, and we have our guest lists, and that's all fun and exciting. Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the one who's coming to pay for the sins of the world, this is really a big deal. His advent is very important. And who made the guest list for the birth of a king? 
Well, let's kind of think about this, and I would encourage you to write some of these things down where you have space. These are the individuals who made the guest list. Let's start with mom and dad, Joseph and Mary, J&M, almost sounds like a cleaning company, doesn't it? (laughs) Joseph and Mary, the earthly father, the earthly mother of Jesus, they were on the guest list and... Here's what we know about Joseph and Mary. They're kind of commoners. Nothing really noteworthy about them up until this point. Certainly the angel appeared to them and gave them wonderful news, and they stepped into that faith opportunity, and God used them to do something extraordinary, bring his son, the promised child, into the world to pay for our sins. They stepped into that faith moment, which is wonderful, but really, they're just commoners. They weren't very wealthy. They didn't have a lot of degrees stacked up behind their name. As a matter of fact, scholars tell us that Mary was very young when she gave birth to Jesus. Most scholars say she was probably a teenager. So think about that. Mary a very young lady, a teenager, giving birth to to Jesus, the Messiah. For all the kids in the room, for students, teenagers, do not ever underestimate what God can do through your life when it is surrendered to him. God can use you to do shocking things. He really can. And that should encourage you and inspire you. When you walk through the pages of Scripture, what you find over and over again is that God often used very young people to do some really big and important things. So Joseph and Mary, they are on the guest list. They're there, again, commoners, nothing really spectacular or special there. But they're on the guest list. Here's a few other individuals who are on the guest list. That's a shepherd. It's not a candy cane, all right? First hour really struggled with that, so I just want to clarify, it's not a candy cane, that's a shepherd's staff, and shepherds were there on the guest list. But, but here's what we need to know about shepherds, and this is important because it's all part of the story, part of the context. Dirty, unsophisticated, often shepherds were thieves back in the day because they wandered on different people's property for feeding their sheep, and they would often invade and steal. They were violent often. Nobody back in the day was singing, or they probably were singing this, actually. Ready? Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be shepherds. Yeah, that's, that's what they were singing, because nobody wanted that. It wasn't a good thing. Because, again, they were unruly and violent and smelly and unsophisticated, but yet on the the guest list of the Messiah, right? Think about this. It's, It's remarkable. On the guest list of Jesus, we have these individuals. Well, we know there's a few other guests that came. The Magi, the Three Kings. Sometimes we refer to them that way, the wise men. And perhaps here we finally have some sophistication and some educated individuals. But here's what we need to know about the Magi, these kings. 
foreigners, outsiders. They didn't come from the right zip code. So yeah, they're a little more sophisticated, probably cleaned up a bit more than the shepherds, but yet outsiders, not from the right place. And this is who makes up the guest list of Jesus. Joseph and Mary, very common individuals, shepherds, unruly, stinky, dirty individuals, and some wise men, some magi who came from a foreign land and they're outsiders and not from the right zip code. Here's the conclusion. Here's what we know about all of this. The A-list of celebrities in Bethlehem and vicinity, when Jesus was born, they weren't there. They didn't make an appearance. They didn't come. No one who was noteworthy was there to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Seems kind of strange. Now, I would do it in a different kind of way if it were me, and and maybe you think the same way. So let's put on our marketing hats for a few moments because here's what we would probably do. A king is being born, and so we need to shine a spotlight on this king so that a lot of people are aware that he has arrived. We're talking about Jesus after all. He's going to do some really good things. He's going to help people. He's going to heal individuals who are very sick, and he's going to pay for the sins of the world. We want a lot of people to know that he has come. And so let's put a parade together and get a fire truck and a marching band to make a lot of noise, right? These are the things that we would do, and that makes sense so that people know that the king, the Messiah, is here, but yet that's not what God does at all. What we see in the guest list of those who came to see Jesus, I think, is something very remarkable. And here it is. Jesus came to the mess, right? When you think about commoners and those who are unsophisticated and dirty, those who are from the wrong zip code, Jesus came for all of that. And when you look at the guest list and who was there to welcome the Messiah, the Son of God, it's individuals who we probably wouldn't put there, which tells us Jesus came to the mess It helps us to know that God is not a disinterested deity. Sometimes we think that, don't we? Maybe at some point in your life you've wondered if God just kind of put everything in motion and then sits on a little cloud somewhere and pays no attention to what is happening and doesn't interact with what he has created. The advent, the arrival of Jesus and the guest list helps us to know that's not the case. Jesus came to get involved in our mess. He chose to get in the weeds with the marginalized, the unqualified, the dirty, the fill in the blank with whatever you want there, with whatever your thing may be. Jesus came for all of that. Great news, great news. With your Bible or device, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew is the first gospel in the New Testament. If you find the last book of the Old Testament, it's called Malachi. Here at Valley Point, we affectionately call him Malachi, the great Italian prophet. 
So find Malachi, and then if you turn to the right a little bit, eventually you will bump into the very first gospel, which talks about the birth of Jesus, and that's Matthew. I want to begin in chapter 2. Here's verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. There's our guy. And I want to pause there for just a moment and kind of think about Herod because often we tend to read things like that. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, during the reign of a guy named Herod. We kind of gloss over all of that and don't pay attention to the significance of a name that is listed. Herod's a very significant player here, so let's talk about him for just a few moments. His name means son of a hero. Herod is often referred to as Herod the Great. And the reason he is called Herod the Great is because Herod was known as a pretty slick politician. He was a very skilled soldier, a great orator, and he was also a builder. He was an architect. Outside of his name being mentioned here in Matthew chapter 2 with the arrival of Jesus, Herod the Great's buildings and his architecture really serve as the background for many of the New Testament stories. So Herod is great. Orator, politician, soldier, he's a builder, he's an architect, he did some great things. But here's what else we need to know about Herod. Not a nice guy, ultimately. Not a nice guy, kind of a bully. He was a thin-skinned leader who was narcissistic and was often tipped over at what other people thought about him, including his own family. On the creepy meter, which we all have one of those, don't we? You know, when we meet with people, it's, you know, it's kind of going up or down or whatever. Well, they had a creepy meter back in the day. Herod on the creepy meter would register very high. All right, he's, he's just kind of creepy. That's Herod. And brutal. He was brutal. If you were to look into the resume of Herod the Great, one of the things you would discover, told to us by Josephus, a Jewish historian, is that Herod got bothered one day because he had a couple of sons. He had several sons, actually, but there were two in particular who may have had aspirations to become king, which you would think should be kind of normal because that's what their dad is and that's what he did, and so maybe they just want to be like their dad, but that really bothered Herod that they would have those kinds of aspirations, and so being the brutal, creepy guy that he is, he had them killed. So we'll just remove that threat to the throne. Herod had several wives, and he got tired of one and didn't approve of some things that were happening, and so he had her killed as well. That's just what he did. Herod also made an announcement about some things he wanted to have happen when he passed. And so he put down, I want two things to take place. The first thing, when I die, I want you to go out and kill some of the Jewish elders. And I want you to do that so there will be weeping and wailing and crying in the streets, and people will think that's because I have died. Herod knew, though, he was creepy and nobody would cry over his death, and so he had to manufacture tears And one of the ways to do that is to kill those who were loved and were tremendous leaders and serving God's people. And then the other thing he said is after killing the Jewish elders so that there is weeping and wailing in the streets, I've got another son, and I'm not so sure about him, so kill him. 
And indeed, that's exactly what happened. When Herod passed, Jewish elders were killed. There was weeping and wailing in the streets. His other son was killed. He's just kind of a creepy guy. That's Herod. That's Herod. He's that guy, okay? And again, we often glance over these things when we read them, but we need to understand King Herod's the guy, and so now there's some individuals who are about to approach him, so it helps us to know he's this bully, creepy individual. So let's continue reading about that time. Some wise men, oh, here, here they come. Remember the guys with the crowns? About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Well, we already know, based on historical accounts, Herod's not going to like the thought of another king. That's not going to play well with him at all. Verse 3 tells us King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. I often found that to be interesting. I, I get that King Herod would be disturbed because there is potentially a new king on the scene. Why, why would the rest of Jerusalem be disturbed? Well, this is kind of a funny line because remember, he's a thin-skinned leader who freaks out. And if Herod is disturbed, then everyone is going to be disturbed. Like, oh boy, Herod's having a bad day. And, and what does that mean for the rest of us? And I, I think that's what's happening here. So he's disturbed. Now everybody's really freaked out here. Verse 4, he, Herod, called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Well, in Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. This is actually a prophecy given about the city of Bethlehem by Micah, a prophet. You can actually read about that in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Scholars tell us Micah gave that, prophet 700, that prophecy 700 years before the actual birth of Jesus, which is remarkable. So 700 years before the birth of Jesus, God gave information to the prophet Micah saying, hey, let him know about Bethlehem. That one stoplight little town, that little, little place, a ruler is going to come from them. And so the rulers in Jerusalem that Herod is talking to, they're aware of this prophecy. And they're like, oh yeah, in Bethlehem, a king will be born. Verse 7, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, here's the deal. I want you to go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, well, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Lied, Herod. <laughs> He's not interested in worshiping. After this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And the language here is very strong. It's not just that they were filled with a little bit of joy. The idea here, the construction of the sentence indicates that they were filled with great joy or big joy. 
not just they were happy that they saw this. They were filled with big joy, like big deal, the advent of Jesus. It does bring joy. The joy candle has been lit today. The birth of Jesus, it brought joy. And we see that here. Verse 11 says, They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, which is kind of fascinating because they didn't bow down and worship Herod the king. They didn't do that, but they did bow down and worship Jesus the king, and it just gives us some indication that they got it. They, they understood that this child, this baby, the one we have been searching for, the one we have been guided to by this light. He's the one. He's the one. And so he's worthy of getting low before him. Not Herod the king, but Jesus the king. He's worthy of this. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. All right, that's Matthew chapter 2. Again, not a new story for you, I'm sure. You've heard those words, but I'm hoping we're all looking at it now through a different lens. I want to share three thinking points that kind of fall right out of the text. Here we go. Number one, outsiders are welcome. We get that with the Advent. Outsiders are welcome. We also get this. Well, people did not notice Jesus. The ones who were healthy and wise and should have didn't for whatever reason. We're not sure. Well, people, they didn't notice Jesus. They weren't on the guest list. And then we also get this. Jesus came as a baby, not a conquering king. He came as a small little unassuming package. That needed to be cared for diligently. He came as a baby, not a conquering king. Let's go back and kind of think about these. Outsiders are welcome. Since the very beginning, and again, that's what we're reading here, the advent, the arrival, the birth of Jesus. From the very beginning, the story of Jesus includes the young, the unimpressive, the dirty, the violent, the foreigners, that's who was around, Jesus. These are not normally the kinds of individuals that you would parade around an infant. You're probably just not going to do that. But yet, that's what we discover here, and it helps us to know this, and I want you to hear it. The inclusivity of Jesus is amazing. And that's great news for all of us. It's great news. The inclusivity of what Jesus offers. It's shocking. And that's his story. Well, people did not welcome Jesus. You know, there was no room for them in the midst of their busyness. And they were even told, they had the prophet. Hey, you, you pay attention. A at some point, Bethlehem will produce the Messiah, the king. And so look for this. Be on the watch. And they weren't because life took over and they were busy like, a lot of people are. And the beauty of that is Jesus came for them too. Jesus came for the well, 
and the busy, those who are occupied with life. Came for the dirty, the broken, the outsiders, all of that, but he also came for those who weren't even looking. And Jesus came as a baby, not a conquering king. He came with humility and neediness and reliance on strangers. Joseph and Mary, he, he desperately needed them. He was totally reliant on God as Father. You know, it's interesting because how Jesus comes and how he came to earth parallels how we need to come to God as family with humility and a reliance and a trust on and in him and his provision. Think about it. The shepherds weren't required to clean up before they arrived. There's no indication that happened. The Magi did not have to get the right kind of visa before they arrived. They just came. They just came. And again, this is the beauty of the inclusivity of Jesus. He welcomes all and we come as we are dependent on him. Let me go back to the big idea for just a moment. Jesus' guest list helps us to know that he intentionally entered our messy lives in a real way. I hope that just consumes you for a few hours today, that you just think about that guest list and who was there and how that speaks to the purposefulness of Jesus to enter your life and your mess and my life and my mess. The inclusivity of Jesus, truly a beautiful thing. Here's a couple of takeaways. Number one, generously thank God for sending his son. All right? I want everybody to do that at some point today and throughout the week. I want you to just gen generously, liberally thank God for sending his son. I think we all can do that. As a church, let's engage in this. I think the question becomes how. How can we generously thank God for sending his son? How can we really be filled with joy and give that expression back to God. Well, just talk to God, all right? Talk to him like how we would have a conversation and thank him for the inclusivity of his gift for you and how Jesus came to enter into your mess, whatever that might look like right now. Or even if your life is great, thank him for that and just talk to God. He loves it when we talk to him. So let's talk. Let's have conversations today and throughout the week. If you're not exactly sure what to say because that's a strange thing and how do you pray to God, then I want to encourage you to write down these psalms. Look this up in your Bible, find it on your device, and you can just read this and make this your prayer. All right? If you're not sure what to say, that's kind of strange. I'm not sure what to do there. I want to give you these psalms to pray, and as you read them, as you pray them to God, you're going to be generously thanking him for the gift of Jesus. So write this down, Psalm 46. Psalm 66 and Psalm 104. There are certainly a lot more, but I want you to focus on those three. Psalm 46, Psalm 66, and Psalm 104. You're not sure what to pray? Just find those psalms. Read them as your generous prayer of thanks to God for sending his son. Okay? Here's another thing you can do. How about serving someone knowing that Jesus came for all? And maybe serving someone that you don't want to serve or maybe sits on the outside of your comfort level 
and maybe God is bringing that kind of individual to your mind right now. Well, one of the ways we can generously thank God for sending his son is by serving the very people that he came for, which includes the ones that we tend to push out because we're a little uncomfortable. Serve someone, all right? Serve someone knowing that Jesus came for them, came for them. So generously thank God for sending his son. Here's the second takeaway. With great joy, respond to God's greatness. And the reason we want to do that is because he did something for us that we never could have accomplished on our own. And so we want to, with great joy, not, not just joy, like, okay, you know, thank you, God, that's wonderful, Jesus is here, that's great. How about with great joy, that comes from deep within, that we're saying and communicating, God, you are great for this gift, and with deep joy, like what the wise men did. With great joy, big joy, I'll respond to you and your greatness. Let's go back to our walking path for just a moment. Big idea. Why the guest list of Jesus shows us that he intentionally entered our messy lives and our messy world in a real way. Matthew chapter two, the wonderful story of the people who came. Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and the magi, unlikely individuals. We talked about Herod, the creep, who kind of set up the wise men finding Jesus and helping them move on their way. And again, that just deepens the story of the birth of Jesus. And then a couple of takeaways. Let's tell God. Let's thank him for sending his son. And then let's be very willing with great joy, not just joy, all right, am I making sense? With great joy, let's respond to God and his greatness. Will you stand with me? Can you do that? Father, here we are. We're standing before you today. And we're thankful for a familiar story. In Matthew chapter 2, again, I think many of us, if not most of us, are aware of some of these things. But with fresh eyes, we have looked at some history and context that just make this story come to life. And Matthew helps us to get it and to appreciate the arrival of Jesus and how that was welcomed with great joy with happiness deep down inside, big joy. God, I think often we move through the season and we're occupied with work and closing a year and things that have to happen and gifts and parties and events and people that we want to see, people that we have to see that we don't really want to see. All of this occupies our minds. And we lose a level of joy that I think takes away from responding to you and your greatness. And so, God, here we are, your people, Valley Point Church. We stand before you today ready to respond and to give to you big joy for sending Jesus and for including us and in entering into our messy lives. We're thankful, we're grateful. We praise you now in Jesus' name, amen.